This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Let's find out what else we will know about what Marco Mendicino did not know. I think he's the most under fire cabinet minister in ages. And when I left you Monday afternoon and came back uh, Friday, the things we didn't know that they didn't know that their staff didn't know Oh, boy. Now, nobody's really being accountable at this particular point in time. By the way, welcome back uh, to the show. It's Toronto Today with Greg Brady. How do I know I'm in good stead and I was not for three days? There's a sit-down, like a a sitting phone charger because the pins on my phone are broken. It's four and a half years old, so I have to lay it down to charge it. And I came in, and no word of a lie, I've never done this in my life. I put my coffee cup on the charger like it's a coaster. So I'm in good. I'm in, I'm really rolling today uh, so far. I actually am. Um, we're ready to have a great show and, and send you into your Father's Day weekend. Um, there's a bit of a sidestep happening right now with Marco Mendicino about questions about getting Paul Bernardo to maximum security. You really have to suspend reality to believe that the public safety minister didn't know about this when his staff knew about it in March that Paul Bernardo was going to be transferred transferred from a maximum security prison to a medium security prison. Now, here's the problem. It's really easy to say Marco Mendicino should resign. Now and then, a cabinet minister takes one for the team, especially if it looks like he's not being transparent, especially if there's a long history. And there is with this minister in terms of just being unable to explain why he didn't know anything. And either it's a combination of a couple things or it's one specific thing you're not telling anybody the truth in this case meaning canadians and um and we're getting better i think at sniffing out what we'd call lies from politicians or you've just decided to let your office go rogue run rampant make like have people in their early 20s making 65 grand make the calls for you i doubt that is true and, I, and the one of those office, you know, workers might have decided at a certain point in time, not sure this could happen. I bet you there's a little bit of a system of checks and balances in the office of the Minister of Public Safety. So what happened yesterday? Well, lots. Um, and th- give credit to the media. And this tells you why the media ends up being important at the end of the day. Why stories matter, why journalism matters, why shows like this, radio stations like this, I can go on matter because the fewer people that are there making this much noise about an absolutely cowardly public performance by this minister stand out. Here's Minister of Public Safety Marco Mendicino being asked by reporters after stiffing them for five hours the day before why his staff didn't inform him of convicted killer, notorious killer, Paul Bernardo's transfer to a medium security prison. Um, why his staff didn't tell him about it. How is it credible that all of the most senior staff who are paid for by taxpayers and government and the PCO and the Prime Minister's office and your office knew, but somehow you and the Prime Minister were only told after the fact? How is that in any way credible to the average person who goes to their job and does their job every day? Okay, first of all, uh, let's all take a breath. Uh, and I want to be responsive to your questions. What I said was is that I would be coming down to take more questions uh, in this afternoon. But you said what that I would say, and then you didn't cut your office. We waited I, for yeah. five hours what, for you. What, what, I, right now. what I well, I'm here right now, and I Y'all will be here again. Sense.
Okay, we're off to a great start. Are you going to do any grilling on your uh, on your barbecue on on Sunday? Uh, you won't do any better. You won't get a grill. You know that grill pattern with the black marks, like five down a steak or a pork chop or whatever. You won't see a person getting more pan seared than Marco Mendicino yesterday, and it's good. And you don't have to again love, loathe, tolerate. Um, be satisfied with the Liberal Party of Canada to not appreciate that, to not appreciate that. There also used to be a time and a place when a minister would screw up or his office would screw up or he'd get caught screwing up multiple, multiple times and just not being transparent. And the minister would either step down or say, I'm taking responsibility and here's how I'm doing it. Not some internal scenario. And by the way, I'm sorry to judge body language, and I, and it's not the only thing I'm judging about Marco Mendicino, but the whole smirk, the condescending, let's all take a breath. No, I'm sorry. The journalists there are a conduit for the people. And the people, though they have other things to do, gas in the tank, food on the table, paying kids college tuition, try to enjoy the, the, the fun things in life. We got all that going on with all of us. It doesn't make this any less important. It doesn't make this any less significant. So this whole, by the way, I'm sorry. That's that's a man being a certain way to a woman. I smell it a mile away. I smell it a mile away, that kind of condescension. Here's more of Marco Mendicino in this process yesterday. Uh, I can not answer all the questions when they're coming at the same time. So why didn't your staff tell you? What's the explanation? What was the explanation from your staff as to why they didn't tell you? The short answer is it is unacceptable. Uh, And... My job is to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And That's the way not to do answering that, the question. Why did it happen in the first place? It's not your first day in cabinet, right? You're many is years Bernardo into cabinet. It's not a new... So, so I'm going to come back to that question. But first, what's important is that uh, these issues are identified and they're corrected. And so that is what I have done with my team to be sure that there is uh, no further breakdown in information flow. Okay, I mean, again, this is either incompetence or impropriety. It's either a poorly run office or it's an office misbehaving. And it's either a uh, absolute coincidence that it happens over and over again, or it's blatant misconduct from a cabinet minister. You decide. 416-870-6400 via text. We say a good Friday morning to Sheba Siddiqui. Here she is. Woo, welcome back. How, do, how about those reporters? They're on him. They're on him, aren't they? Oh, she's amazing. First of all, I'm. who is that? I don't know. I heard two voices so, there, and I don't recognize them. One was person, Ashley Burke from CBC. I, I would say that. Not the first one. Yeah. No, not. I don't think it's the first because I'm trying to figure out who this is the first time I heard this clip. Yeah. Uh, and I love, how, love how persistent they are. I love how they're just right on top of him. He's literally trying to run away. Yeah. That's what he's trying to do. He's just trying to escape all of the reporters in the media. Uh, Marika Walsh. That's what Dave Bradley's saying. Oh, from the Marika Globe. Walsh. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Uh, she's amazing. And awesome. then when he just says, okay, you know what? Let's, uh, let's take a breath. That's the equivalent of telling someone to calm down when they don't need to calm down. You're the one running away. You owe us answers. So don't tell anyone to take a breath. How about when men They've tell, been- men tell women to smile more? Oh, gosh. Thank Smile you. Exactly. I, that's the uh, yeah. uh, reaction I was looking to elicit. Like, hey, let's everybody calm down now. Would she say that to Dave? Would he say that to David Aiken? 
Would he say that to another, another male not. Rep- No way he would. He wouldn't. No. He wouldn't. No. It's so, so just condescending. The condescension. That's it. That's it. Uh, so good for them for trying to stay on top of him, trying to get some answers out of him. Brady, he knew. I don't believe him. No, I don't either. The, I don't either. What? I, I just, he's lying through his teeth. He absolutely knew about this. He knew this was going to happen. Uh, he's blaming it on his office. Uh, he's saying, oh, he wouldn't even answer their questions. Oh, you know, we're going to try to look in to see what happened. No, you knew. You knew exactly what was happening. And now you've been caught with your pants down. Yeah. And you remember that week as well. I, I remember it too, because I think um, Friday afternoon, that's the week I went to um, upstate New York to see my family. I remember you were out for dinner Friday night. How do we know where each other was Friday at 6 p.m.? But we just did. We were in communication. We chat all day long. <laughs> we did. Right. And and um and and then that Bernardo stuff drops around six thirty that night or so six thirty seven yes. Eastern time. Yes. But but so and Trudeau knows on Monday, Sheba. So if I'm honestly, if I'm the prime minister, I know I know this will sound like as if you would. But I call a news conference Tuesday and I say, guess what I've just found out? And here's my reaction to it. Why why sit on that for four days, even if you're the prime minister of the freaking country? And I know other people will say. Because then there could be a revelation that he knew in, in, in March. And that's a big problem. Just, can you imagine sitting on this, going to bed every night, playing with your kids, talking with your wife for three months, knowing this is going to break at some time. And I'm going to yes. be utterly unable to explain. But you think you'd have a plan as opposed to, oh, let's take a breath. You think you would have a plan as to when it does break. And I just don't believe them. I don't mm-hmm. believe what they're feeding us. People always say, oh, it's the media. They're complaining about the media. This is a perfect example of why we need media. These women yesterday were holding him to task. Yeah, superstars, superstars. Marika Walsh was was certainly one of them from the Globe Mail. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, the headline in the Toronto Star is two of eight girls accused of Toronto swarming murder are returned to custody. The girls were separately returned to custody last month. Again, if Jennifer Pagliaro, the awesome crime reporter from the Toronto Star, doesn't reveal this, we don't know it. I mean, are we allowed to know it? Are we supposed to know it? I'm not sure. But this um, this death happened, what are we talking, two weeks before Christmas, it feels like? Yes. It's way back in December. I don't yes. know why they can't speed this along. Of, of all things, I think, there's teenage lives hanging in the balance here. There's families hanging in the balance. If we're going to make a fuss and say... And we did so are it. you concerned about the teenagers' schedules in life or well, um if they're if oh, they're I don't not care. if they're not as well, okay, I don't know what they're guilty of. There's clearly something that transpired here, but are all eight equally guilty? I don't know that. And are they singing like canaries to rat each other out to say I didn't do what she did? I don't know. But I think we can speed this along a little bit faster than than sitting here seven months later yeah, and they're nowhere close to going to trial, right? No, they're not. Uh, so these two girls were out on bail, but one of them apparently she's. Uh, it, see, they don't give us enough detail. They mm-hmm. just let the Ontario Justice Maria Servar has has let only a little bit come to reporters. She's allowing this. So uh, this girl, one of these girls, she breached her bail conditions. Uh, okay, that's so that's why know, she's going. It's back. not related to violence. That's okay. what we know. It's not related to violence, but she did breach her bail conditions. The other one, now this one, this sucks for her. So the other one was under. They're both under strict house arrest. All of them are under strict house arrest, and they each have a responsible person, which is similar to like a surety, but I guess for for their age group, it's called the responsible person who has to keep an eye on them, make sure they're always in the house. 
this per- this girl's responsible person sort of put up their hands and said, you know what, I can't do it for whatever reason it is, and said I can't be the responsible person anymore. So she's back in. And they're at a, they're at a youth facility with um, a third girl, and the third girl tried to get her bail reviewed. And to reset the ages here again, it's the most jarring thing imaginable. There's a 59 year old. Um, person that was killed near a temporary homeless shelter. They've charged eight girls with second-degree murder, and they're 13, 13, 13, 14, 14, 14, 16, and 16. Wow. It's just like, again, it jumps off the page that that's the ages. I guess we we, we shouldn't feel much differently about the tragedy it is if they were 23 and 26 and 28, but we do, right? Because Oh, it's a big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three 13-year-olds being charged with second-degree murder, first of all, I 100% blame the parents in this. They have a role in this. Where the hell are you? You have 13-year-olds, so you are playing a role in this. I don't care how busy you are. But also, yes, these 13-year-olds obviously have to take responsibility. They're of sound mind as far as we know that they can actually do this to a, a man on the street. So I, I need to know more details. We I all know. do. They're being so tight with this. I think this trial, if I told you that if you spotted a news story and this trial was like people in, you know, Barcelona or Paris or London or Sydney, Australia, you'd still be interested in it. But the fact that kind of these are our neighbors, you know what I mean? Like they're in our community. They're in the GTA. They they would take the TTC. They all met up online and perhaps sought out a moment like this. Like like and again, I've seen these kind of stories where people are saying well hey come on they're being punished pretty heavily they don't get a cell phone and they can't use social media and they can't go to school and i'm like that's going to be the least of their problems if they're guilty of secondary murder at age 13 like how do you get a job after that i don't know whether you can scrub all that from the, you know whatever whatever's replaced well we'll the never young know offenders their names. act we don't know their why names can't yet. you yeah i yeah, know I, yeah I, I, so I think after at this age, we'll never know if they apply for a job, let's say, in 10 years. That wouldn't show up on their record, would it? No. No, no I don't think age, so. We'll but know. you just you, like I, I'm a bit so, surprised. One of them could be your producer 10 years from right. now. You'll never know. <laughs> or, or or her or his daughter. Um, yeah. Like like you would never know if they broke. Clearly, they're going back because they broke the terms of their bail. Not a great sign. <laughs> I mean, is 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 it possible they committed another crime? So they're back in custody. Like you said, our whole justice system, this goes back to the Bernardo thing. Tell I, There's no country that knows less about their criminals and alleged criminals in Canada, it feels like sometimes. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. She's got 10 days of messaging left before we all go vote on June 26th. She's looking to be the next mayor of Toronto. She is Anna Bailao. It's great to have you back on Toronto Today. Anna, thanks for the time. Thank you, Greg. Welcome back. Oh yeah. Well, you. Oh, you noticed. I yeah. I went to Michigan for a few days. I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm spreading the word. I want uh, I want Canadians eligible to vote in Toronto to come back, cross the border, cross the three one three back to the four one six, and and, and do and, and do their dem <laughs> and do their democratic purpose. Yes, exactly that. Um, last night, a, a televised debate. I watched. Uh, I watched and it enough to know that I'm sure it's getting it, some elements are getting frustrating. Are they? Um, we clearly have a front runner in the polls and um, and there's just not been there's not been a ton of transparency regarding platform. I think any even her supporters are being disappointed by it. How do you view it? 
uh, you're right, Craig. I, I just uh, before we start talking about the debate, uh, I, I just want to say that my thoughts are with the families and and uh, the loved ones of uh, the ones killed in the tragic, tragic accident in Manitoba. And I'm wishing speedy recovers for those injuries. Just wanted to, to send my thoughts out there. Thank you for that. Uh, yes. To uh, back to the debate. Yes, I think it was uh, it, 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 the, the choice is so clear. And, uh, you know, Olivia Chow um, does not answer the question that I think voters deserve to know. You know, when <laughs> working families out there, you know, don't go out and, you know, decide what they want and figure it out how they're going to pay for it after. Right. You work within your budget. You have your budget and within your budget, you see what uh, what you can afford. And I find it actually outrageous and, and entitled that, you know, Olivia Chow is coming out and saying, well, I'll let you know after. Well, in an affordability crisis, people need to know. We just had another tax increase from the Bank of Canada. You're talking about another one in July. People are struggling to pay their rent, to pay their mortgages. Everything is going up. People deserve to know what their bill is going to be. And the option for Olivia Chow is increasing taxes, increasing taxes. That's how she's ready to tax. That's all we know. We don't know by how much. So I think the choice is very clear. You know, I, I recognize the affordability crisis. That's why I have committed not to increase taxes above the rate of inflation. That's why I believe in fixing services, core services that are, you know, making our life easier and more affordable. Services like the TTC, making sure that our, we're getting good value for money on contracts like mm-hmm. snow cleaning and street cleaning, things that we depend on on every day, building more housing and strengthening and getting a fair deal for Toronto uh, from the province and from the federal government. You've said it will be a priority to sit down with um, the premier, to sit down with the prime minister. Both those jobs could also change in the next three or four years. So whoever the government is at those levels, you'll go. You won't won't just negotiate civilly. You'll kind of put the battle helmet on and, and fight for Toronto. Are you worried about Olivia Chow's ability to do that for the city of Toronto? Of course I'm worried because she's, you know, she's, uh, she's been leading the NDP, the, the NDP uh, opposition that is going to be uh, as a mayor of Toronto. And what we need is somebody that is going to stand up and work with the provincial and the federal government. I've been at those tables. I have a track record of getting billions for, for housing, you know, for Toronto community housing, for building more housing in Toronto. And that's what we need is, is somebody that brings pragmatic solutions to the table. Greg, even this week, the financial accountability officer told uh, Ontarians that the government of Ontario has $22.6 billion in excess funds. There is the opportunity to get a better deal for Toronto. I keep saying if there's one thing that residents really appreciated during the pandemic is how governments came together to deal with the crisis and, and to respond to the crisis and, 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 make, and, and make their life easier. That's what we need to keep going. You know, provincial government had the largest budget in Ontario history. The city of Toronto is the economic engine of this of this province and of this country. We need to make sure that what people are paying more for everything, some of it is coming back for the services that they need on a daily basis. And that's what I'm going to be fighting for. People have speculated maybe the last two weeks, similar to how, you know, like a like like Democrats would would run for uh, the, the nomination to run against a, a Donald Trump in 2016, that eventually people will drop out and push their support behind somebody else. Has there been anything back channeled at all with other candidates saying, 
Anna, I believe in you. You're one of the people that can beat Olivia Chow. I'm willing to come to your, uh, to basically to your party, or in essence, and support you and move forward. Is there any of that? Because, again, we've heard about it, but there's no sign of it tangibly happening. Greg, you know what? There's a big sign. From day one, I started to bring people to the table. I have seven sitting city councilors that are endorsing me. I can bring council together as well to get the work done. I have 11 members of parliament. I have six unions. I have businesses. I'm bringing the city together. I'm bringing all the support to the table. We've been growing the team from day one. These are people that that believe in in, in the plan to fix services, to build housing, and to work with the other orders of government to get a fair deal for Toronto. But have you had a candidate come to you and say, I'm on your side. If I think I can't get this done, I'll throw my support behind you before Election Day. Well, you know, everybody is still there. The ballot is closed. Uh, I think the choice is very clear, though. You have Olivia Chow and you have me that has a track record. I won't need to learn on the job. From day one, I am ready to do the job. I have the experience. I've been at the negotiating table. I've been deputy mayor for five years. I know how City Hall works, and I've done it. I've, I've delivered through City Council, and that's the kind of leadership and experience that we need at City Hall. The city's facing challenges. The city needs some, uh, someone that has the leadership to negotiate with other orders of government, and the only candidate that has that is me. Would you go to another candidate and say, please support me and drop out? If you really want to stop, I'll give Mark Saunders as an example. Anna, if you are a better shot to win than Mark Saunders, and the polls are indicating that, if they are going in a week from today, would you go to the Saunders campaign and say, do you really want to stop Olivia Chow? Because here's your chance. I'm appealing to all voters uh, and uh, everybody that uh, that wants to stop Olivia Chow. There's only one choice, and that's Anna Bailao. That, uh, that can deliver uh, and can win on uh, on the 26th. And I'm appealing to all voters to come and vote for uh, Anna Bailao. I know you got a busy weekend of campaigning, and I know we'll talk next week leading up to Election Day. Thanks for the time, and have a great weekend. Thanks, Greg. It was great talking to you, as always. Anna Bailao joining us on Toronto Today. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, right now, my wife's in Ottawa. My teenage sons need to get up. they got to finish this school year strong in grade 11 and grade 9. So this is not a contest. I'm not announcing a contest, but I'll pay you $418 if you go there and wake my kids up right now. I, I can't get my address out on the air, but those who know... No, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I, that's I, I'll pay you that over like the span of like eight years. I'm not giving it to you all at once. I gotta you gotta prove that they got there and took their homework and all that stuff. I hate when they're home alone. I don't trust them to wake up. Ed Keenan uh, probably knows that feeling. Toronto Star columnist joins us now. Happy, happy Father's Day weekend, Ed. Are you interested in four hundred eighteen dollars spread out over eight years at at four point eight percent interest as well? We'll raise interest rates later on that, on that loan. I- I would be, but I'm, I'm uh, in the same process in my house right now. As we speak, uh, we are in the process of trying to get my own kids up and out to school because they're in the same boat. It's yeah. coming up. Yeah, the, the mornings drag in the middle of June. I remember them well as a teenager, uh, being like buckets of water being thrown on me and uh, cold compresses, hot compresses, all of it to wake me up and get me to school. What did you think last night? Any any body blows delivered to Olivia Chow or just is she just is she dodging and weaving, not saying more than she has to and maintaining her lead here? Uh, well, it's kind of like you wish somebody had a bucket of water there. <laughs> 
Um, that'd be quite something. I, I, I think that'd be the biggest story the next morning if if that actually <laughs> happened. Yeah. The format was really serving anybody. I a lot of the other candidates were trying to deliver body blows, but but the first impression for anybody tuning in, I think, was that it, I mean, it had the chaos of of a wrestling battle royal where they were all trying to attack Olivia Chow, but they, they were stomping all over each other on the, at the same time that they were doing it. And so it, it wasn't coming out all that clear. I did think there were a couple sequences where Chow d- didn't look particularly strong while she was withering attacks from all, all sides. Um, but I also, I wasn't sure that they, any of them in my mind anyway, came through really clearly in a way that would damage her. Right. And, and partly because of this sort of chaos of how everybody was shouting over each other a time and time and time again. Um, but, but yeah, so, and it, I mean, it, but the candidates were also trying to attack each other. There was one sequence where, where, uh, you know, Josh Matlow, Matlow and Mitzi Bradford a question and, about, yeah. about, uh, about Saunders and Bradford started answering about Olivia Chow. And then of course, Mitzi Hunter was attacking Matlow. Uh, and and then it devolved into chaos again. Yeah, I I'm no I'm no expert in terms of strategy, but I don't know why. I, I just think you're like Josh Madlow and Mitzi Hunter wasting time digging in on each other. They're like they're they're. I suppose they could make the case that's where they see potential. Should I vote for person A or person B? But Josh Madlow needs to dial in on Olivia Chow if he wants the result he wants here. He doesn't. He doesn't need to. No one's deciding whether to vote for Josh Madlow or Mark Saunders. To me, anyway. Yeah. No. And and I mean in in the latest poll that that showed actually Mark Saunders and a little bit of light for both Saunders and Madlow. Um, it, it it's not showing them. I don't think they're not taking votes from, from Mitzi Hunter, but I, I think Josh Matlow has a consideration and I haven't talked to him about this or anything, but I noticed something in the tone of his campaign where if he does not win, he's going to still be on city council. And yeah. if it's under mayor Olivia Chow, he potentially has a role to play here for the first time in his council career as somebody maybe inside the governing tent potentially. Yeah. And, and so I don't, I don't think he wants to like empty the ammunition to try and damage Chow because he may have to work with her very soon. And he, he's maybe alone on that stage in that position. Many candidates privately to me have referenced just what work this is. And I don't mean they're not ready to be out all day campaigning, but when you consider the amount of ground you have to cover that, that you are basically running, um, running, trying to get votes of of upwards of you know basically two point five to three million eligible voters. It's not like it's not like a ward. Like like if you're running as an MPP in in Oshawa or you're running in Ward Eight, it's it's remarkable. Um, the 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 ground game it doesn't have to be that difficult, and you don't need that many people. Toronto is just exhausting geographically. They don't complain about it publicly, but I get it why they privately. I think the circuits are getting a little bit fried by now. Yeah, I think especially in a campaign this short, um, and and you know it it's, it's exhausting for us because it's actually even a couple months is longer than a federal campaign. But if you're running for MP, MPP or city council, a really good strategy is just knock on every door in your ward or in your riding, right? And you could actually do that. Your your campaign can possibly canvas every door twice or three times in, in a month. 
Or, or at least the ones you are sure you've got the data yeah. as well that that says this person voted for this party in this year, and then then you're way ahead of the game. Like if you if you see a house, if you're a liberal and you see a house that has voted conservative four elections in a row, maybe you leave it and and you and you be right. more efficient and and nimble with your time. It's it's impossible to do that with this race, as you point out. Exactly, you can't do it citywide at all. It's just absolutely impossible, as you say. But the other challenge in terms of the air war is that, yes, you can get your advertising up, but, you, you know, this damn can, the debate last night and every debate so far, everybody says, you know, is this one going to be a game changer? And I think because there's not like one or two big, like, National Debate Commission debates, we don't have a situation where one third or half of all city residents are all tuning into one debate. A bunch of people have seen one along the way. They see the news coverage of them here and there. But there's not a grand moment in the spotlight where everybody's tuned in. And so the, even the, the faint hope of scoring a sort of a knockout punch during a debate becomes a little less consequential. Mm. And it's, it's it, this accumulation of small things. But as you say, the challenge being, like, if you are a mayoral candidate, how do you get how do you how do you talk to everybody in the city in such a short period of time? And and it I mean, massive organization has to be part of it. I, I think now they're switching into get out the boat. Yeah. Boat mode. At least the uh, yeah. like like Chow and Bailao definitely will be focused on that over the next week uh, relentlessly. Um, and, and it's a you know, then again, the size of your organization can help. But it's a massive challenge given the size of the city. Only got 40 seconds. Do you see an alliance? Do you see a phone call being made from candidate A to candidate B saying, if I get this, I'll I'll tell people who are going to vote for me to vote? We we thought maybe even 14 days ago rumors were starting. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and I, I think it's a little too late for something like that to really work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the time for that was probably two weeks ago when early voting was still underway or just opening. Um, it, it's hard now for things to really shift in a week. It's not impossible, mm-hmm. but I I don't see any of these candidates. They could surprise me, but I don't see any of these candidates sort of try, trying to gang up now because I think it might be a case where they, they look a little foolish. They're, they're, all their work was for nothing, and they don't make any difference in, in it, right? Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Hey, Ed, we'll talk next week leading into uh, the grand finale 10 days from now. Have a great Father's Day weekend. There we go, Greg. Thank you so much. Awesome, sir. Thanks so much. Uh, Ed Keenan, Toronto Star. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Oh my goodness! It's like a like a, stuck in a white dove from the heavens when she opens her mouth and starts singing. Let's see Marco Mendicino tell her to take a breath and calm down. No way! This is the legendary Anita Baker with the Grammy Award-winning "Sweet Love." But this is where it's like a cheesy like "Good Morning America" type turn here with the language. But it's not all sweet love between Anita Baker and her opening act, Babyface. By the way, Toronto Today, Greg Brady, Sheba Siddiqui, Gord, Rennie, Dave Bradley. And by the way, also, Sheba Siddiqui made a phenomenal point about Babyface. Bottom line, 
um, their fan bases started. They got out on tour together because that's you, you see acts paired up on tour sometimes. Nice double bill or the opener or their co-headliners. But the fan bases started um, yap, yap, yapping at each other on Twitter. This is Anita Baker who's a lot more soul. And Babyface Sheba, like that's more up-tempo R&B, right? He's not known for his ballads, really, right? No, he's not. Yeah. It's, it's a very mellow, like I love his music. I grew up with it. Yeah, I'm well. Okay, then you've just made me realize I grew up with Anita Baker, and then I was already up. I'd, I'd grown up, and then <laughs> Babyface. I remember L.A. Reid and Babyface producing a lot of uh, a lot of albums for a lot of great acts. Like, um, oh my goodness, um, Pebbles, On Vogue, Jody Wadley. Oh my goodness, Greg Brady's a big Jody Wadley guy. I won't do the third person thing again. But here's what she sent out after silent Anita Baker. After silently enduring cyberbullying, verbal abuse, and threats of violence from the fan base of our special guest support act in the interest of personal safety. There's a lot of capitals here. They're like there's a lot of Trump-esque capital letters. I will continue the songstress tour alone. Appropriate refunds will be made. She kicked him off the tour because his fans were kind of hassling her saying, let him play for longer. He doesn't get long enough a set. Um, it's really weird. It's very strange. It's something you would, wouldn't have seen happen 15 years ago. I don't think that he, first of all, I don't understand how Babyface is an opening act. Like if he <laughs> just came solo, he couldn't, I don't think like Scotiabank Arena would be the right venue for him. It'd have to be a little more intimate. Yeah. Where would the show play? I think the show plays at Bud stage though here. I think you could, I think Anita no. Baker and Babyface could sell mm. 10,000 tickets here. 9,000. I think they could. I have Scotiabank's no too empty. You're right about that. You can't fill Scotiabank Arena with them. Anita Baker is, I, I, I don't know her music. Okay. <laughs> but Babyface, yeah. But then I looked this up. I thought, okay, well, how old is she? Why is she having such an issue with the cyberbullying? She's 65 years old. So okay. I get it. At that age, you don't have time for anybody saying anything about you uh, online. But then Babyface is 64 years old. So I would never have guessed that. I would have said 56, maybe at most. No. We should, 64. we got to have a segment given you, you, I know, again, it's, uh, it makes you blush a little bit, but. You thought Doug Ford was a little like you thought he was a little younger or older than he was. So Doug Ford's looking I youthful did. in the eyes of Sheba Siddiqui. That's a good that's a good <laughs> sign right there. He's a kid. He's a baby. Papa uh, Papa Doug, uh, Premier Dad, as, as he's often referenced by uh, by <laughs> Doug Ford's older than Babyface. That seems or they're close to the same age. Seems impossible. But yeah, like you like you go to see Taylor Swift. You took your daughter to see Taylor Swift in Nashville. That's a hard, I think that's a really hard tour to be opening act on. And somebody might say, come on, you get to play to 70,000 people who might like your songs, might catch a groove or two and might buy your music or become a fan of yours. But if they don't like you, that's a lot of people to be like absolutely indifferent or or just be like, get off, get off this, uh, no more songs. We want Taylor. Like it's that's a hard act to open for. It is a hard act to open for, but we did show up. We did go there early because just we heard lineups were insane. Uh, and she had two artists. One I've sort of heard of, Phoebe Bridgers, and then yeah. Gracie Adams. Gracie Adams was first for a really short amount of time. Then Phoebe Bridgers came out. But the people around us, the girls, were going nuts. And they knew every word to these opening act songs. So, and I'd never heard of, Phoebe I've kind of heard of, but I, I don't know their songs. I don't know their music, but they knew all the words. So they were there also to enjoy that. Yeah. It's not that, it's Do not, you miss the, are you that guy that shows what? up after the opening acts? Do you, you think your fashion will be late and you're looking really cool about it? I, nah, no, because if it's, if it's somebody I really like, and I've, sometimes I've gone to shows 
liking the opening act a little bit more or knowing that they could potentially steal the thunder from the headlining act. And somebody said to me, it's a sports analogy, but it's a little bit like like seeing an opening act going for the opening acts like a little bit like seeing your team play away from home. It's like being a Leafs fan or a Blue Jays fan and going to Boston because you're kind of cheering against the you're kind of swimming against the tide. For why you're there. Everybody else is there to see the Red Sox, right? But you're there to see the Blue Jays. So I bet you there were Babyface fans at this tour. By the way, I get this uh, uh, direct message. Greg, he's 64. Maybe it's time for a name change. I know, but once you're Babyface. <laughs> <laughs> new kids on the block are also not kids or That's on the block true. or new. They're none of those three things. And they're 50, 56, 57 years old now. So I get it. Are they're, they? They're that old? You can't become N- NM uh, uh, OTB. New men on the block. Same with boys to men. Should be boys, like, well, they, but they turned into men later. That yeah. was the kind of process, the germination. Men to seniors now. The, the Yeah, the germination process there does does end up making some sense at the end of the day. I think that's kind of funny. There's a great story about, I said it to you guys, how Prince got booked to open for the Rolling Stones in 1981. Like, like 1981 era, you know, start me up. And I bet you the fans uh, there uh, didn't, didn't enjoy Prince's act. He came out like basically in a purple trench coat and bikini underwear because that's what he did back then. <laughs> yeah, that seems And different. showed a lot of chest and might have like licked his, like he would do this thing where he'd lick a finger and then touch his own nipple with it. I just said oh, that. Okay. And I um, remember that. And, and that was a thing that he did and the Stones would, but Mick Jagger can do that somehow for the Stones fans. They're like, yes. Yeah. Another Rolling Stones. Remember Justin Timberlake at uh, Sarstock? I'm, yes. I'm glad you localized it and brought that up. Who is So the yeah. Stones are there, and then Timberlake's ACDC. out earlier, and they throw water bottles yeah. at him nonstop, right? I think Stones, right? ACDC were the two main headliners, and yeah, he was earlier on in, in the whole... But whose idea was that? Whose hey, idea was like, that? It's like let's just, bring Justin Timberlake, childhood pop star, Disney guy, onto the stage. No, I get it. He was at the wrong place yeah. at the wrong time. Gord had a really good point about yeah. that, Sheba, in that he noted, like... If you're if you're a big um, we wouldn't use this phrase then uh, Janet Jackson Stan, you would have really enjoyed Justin Timberlake getting pelted with with Aquafina bottles because that's about four years after the Super Bowl. And what he did to Britney. <laughs> oh, yeah. my goodness. Did. I didn't even think and about the misogyny that. To Britney, so, yes, hit that bottle a lot. No, I don't condone <laughs> violence. Hit it near him, near his feet. Don't yeah. hit him with it. Um, the story, Prince was booed off stage at the L.A. Coliseum before 94,000 people unceremoniously booed off. Um, he would, he, fl- I, and I know the story. He flew back home to Minneapolis, didn't tell like the organizers and they're like all set for the show tonight. And he's like, dude, I'm back. He probably didn't say that in 1981, but he said, I'm back home. And they're like, get back here. What do you mean? And he did, he took, they paid him to come back. Like he was so upset. He just flew home at like eight o'clock at night. Wow. He was crying. He was upset. Um, crying. I don't believe he you was don't, crying. You don't Prince think Prince doesn't so? cry. Prince may Prince not. Prince does not cry. I, he, 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 gets, he gets emotional once in a while. Guys reminding me that The Who had Joe Jackson open for him at Exhibition Stadium, and he got hit with a hot dog in the face. <laughs> oh and think about it. Hot dogs were cheap oh, back brutal. then. You wouldn't yeah. throw those now at uh, at your overpriced oh, no. venue of choice now. You're like, that's why don't I just throw a $10 bill and wrap it in <laughs> plastic? And, Unless he's uh, at the come Blue Jay on. game. The Blue Jay game on Tuesdays. Right, That's yeah. True. When you go to Looney Dog Night, <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you absolutely can. Uh, you you can absolutely throw away. Yeah, Prince in his uh, autobiography wrote about that show. I got thousands of bottles and cans thrown at me, every kind of debris. I told them if you get to be a really big headliner, you have to be prepared for people to throw bottles at you, yelling "Prepare to die." So wow. you know, it's hard to kick into 
when Doves Cry or Little Red Corvette. He hadn't ridden those songs yet, but still. Still. Anyway, I hope Anita Baker and uh, and Babyface uh, patch it up.